mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Rob? Today, Russell, I am feeling groundbreaking. And that's just one word of many, not really to describe myself. No, it's not. It's all one word, babes. Groundbreaking. It's hyphenated. It must be hyphenated. I don't want it to be hyphenated. I want it to be all one word. Anyway, it's the only word I could really think to describe today's guests. And I use the word guests plural because we have not one, but five guests. And that in (laughs) itself is groundbreaking. Would you say they were a collective of guests, Rob? Yes, I, I, I would say they were a collective oh, of guests. And actually, okay. there's many words I would use to describe them, such as like bold, active, brave, resourceful, fearless. Like, it's endless, actually. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we are speaking to today's guests all the way from Belfast. And they are not only groundbreaking for being the most guests on Talkart, but also because they recently collectively won the Turner Prize. And they were actually the first Northern Irish artists to win the Turner Prize, which in itself is a much needed thing because I, I feel like it's long overdue and as you know full well from a recent episode we had on talk up with the Turner Prize judges I think everyone will know what I thought about the whole situation with the critics and all of that kind of stuff and I'm just very proud and very excited to be welcoming to talk art we should really do a name Hello. a name check i think of each of yeah. each guest so th- there are 11 members of array collective but today we have cloda lavelle hi cloda hello, hello absolutely buzzing to be here on talk out <laughs> <laughs> we've got jane butler hi jane hi hi <laughs> hi thomas wells you're right thomas yeah i'm not bad how are you i'm very good thanks good. sheila branner cashel how are you, Sheila? Hello. <laughs> nice to see you. And Emma, Great. Emma Campbell. Hi, Emma. Hey. It's so good to see you guys. Yeah, I was saying before we come on, this is like Celebrity Squares, the way we do this <laughs> Zoom, is that we're all in. I know, we summer. should actually do a screenshot of it. It's really funny. We'll do a screenshot. <laughs> so are you all in Belfast right now? Um, yeah, we are. In yes. Fact, we're all, we're not too far away from each other either. I think kind of within uh, like kind of a good kind of few streets. Oh, sorry, Emma's, quite, Emma's a bit further away. I'm in Bangor. <laughs> Where are you? Bangor. It's Bangor. Uh, okay. Seaside. Seaside. Seaside town. So, so is it Seaside? Oh, nice, nice. So there's eleven of you, mm-hmm. uh, and there's also two babies and one toddler as part of Array Collective. But out of the eleven of you, you're saying you're all quite close to each other. You are actually friends, and you do all socialise together. Yeah, I mean, even this weekend. <laughs> 
No, we generally do, and not just in the way that the Spice Girls did. Like, we generally are all friends, and we do all generally all work together. And I think it's just really a testament to kind of how, kind of like, how Belfast works yeah. and how, like, it, yeah, we generally have all just kind of met through common. Like, me and Sheila went to art college together back in 2006. And then kind of she was the one who kind of got me over, as you can tell by my accent, I'm not from Belfast. Uh, but she's the one who kind of got me over here, which has been great. I think that's one of the reasons we work so well. Like we started as friends that turned into a collective rather than the other way around. So it wasn't like, let's be a collective. It was kind of like we were just doing things naturally together and we sh- like we like each other. We hang out together. I think that's why we gel so well. There's no real like inside gossip, like we hate each other. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think 11 is a finite number? Is it people that are like, I want to be part of the array? And we're like, no, the shutters are down. I think it sort of, it kind of became a finite number when we did the Gerwood show. Um, Because originally it was the studio members of which there were sort of six slash seven. And then when we got invited to do the Gerwood show, we decided, well, actually, we've been working quite closely with these other people as well. It doesn't feel right to keep it just the studio members. So that was how this sort of came to 11. And then now it's a bit finite because that's it's eleven people's hard enough to organise. <laughs> yeah. Haven't that's the only reason why it wouldn't extend because there are loads of other people who work. There's there is loads of other people who we work quite closely with, but I think we have to cut it off at some point, you know. And how do you all connect with each other? Is this like a WhatsApp group? Are you on an email chain? Slack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The worst thing ever. Yeah, and then you know, and we have loads of other crossovers. Like there's a couple in the group. There's Tom and Sinead yeah. live together. Claude and Grace live together. Me and Sinead are sisters. You know, there's like, we're and loads of people work together in other capacities. So we're all seeing each other constantly. So there's kind of like it goes through the grapevine as well. Right. As yeah. Right. So so when you talked about the studios, so you you're all based in the same studio because outside of the collective, you are all individual artists making your own work, and you do also have jobs to fund your individual art practices as well as the uh, collective. But did you all meet then, because this studio is in the middle of Belfast, did, did you all kind of connect via that studio as well? We all kind of knew each other already, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. Belfast is so small. Probably Late Night Art is a big uh, component of it, uh, where we would have all got together. There's a lot of, um, I suppose, uh, our friends would be in openings and everything on Late Night Art in Belfast, and we'd all hang out there. But like few of us work together, some of us were friends. It's really hard to, for some of us to figure out when we first met because we've always just we've been around each other for a long time, you know. Yeah, I think definitely. I was trying to figure this out. I was like, who, who do I know the longest? But I feel like I I can't even remember half like half of the encounters, the first ones. Like I know Sheila, Laura, um, you know, for so so long. I'm I'm the longest member of Array. Not the, the longest yep, person there. <laughs> the longest. I'm actually it's quite long. long, you know. <laughs> but like, yeah, I think like probably the most recent is Tom was maybe like four or three or four years. But like, yeah, a long, long time. A lot of us go back. I was going to say we like we all like there was something in the past kind of few years that happened that we just kind of ended up rallying together and yeah. I think kind of really solidified our relationship. And that was this, that was the idea of going on rallies and kind of making work in a more kind of political way that kind of really cemented our, like our friendships, I think. 
on, as artists as well. And actually, the, the the physical location of your studio, I know it's um you're actually going to have to move. I, I read somewhere that because of like gentrification and also rising rents in Belfast, which is just a really sad thing for art. And obviously, that's happening across the UK. Can you speak a bit about the importance of the location, actually, where you where you were located or currently are, but might have to move from, um, and how important that was to the kinds of things you ended up doing? Yeah, I guess. It, the city centre is important for um, our location because of the rallies we would attend and if someone had to drop in and pick up a banner or a flag or whatnot and bring it along. So, yeah, it's pretty, pretty important space. <laughs> yeah, because, well, for people listening, you together create collaborative actions in response to socio-political uh, effects in the north of Ireland and also we, we've said Northern Ireland but you guys also refer to it as a north of Ireland which I kind of picked up recently what, what what is is that what we should be saying or is that what you guys are saying it's um, a place with many names <laughs> <laughs> um, like like the city of Derry for example you can call it Derry or London Derry you know it's officially Derry slash London Derry because it's so contentious what you call it and it sort of gives away where your where your political allegiances lie, depending on how you say it. So, um, yeah, there are many here who would say that it's the north of Ireland and the south of Ireland that Northern Ireland doesn't actually exist. Yeah, <laughs> or should or shouldn't exist. But, you know? So yeah, yeah, yeah. So and and making work based in the north of Ireland, it's obviously with the history. It's it's the troubles. It's got people are still reeling from and still dealing with on a daily basis that you guys are affected by. And within the collective, there are both Catholic and Protestant members, which in a contemporary setting is completely fine. But in a historical setting, this is kind of groundbreaking for you guys to be making this work together in this way. Yeah, I think, though, when we like because the conversation around kind of the around kind of art in the north of Ireland is so kind of divided into these kind of tropes of kind of Catholic, Protestant, Union, Loyalist. There is, like, we kind of very much decided that we didn't want to kind of go down that route. We want to talk very much about, like, this new tertiary, more progressive kind of language that's coming out of politics in the north of Ireland. You know, those, the kind of issues that we work with and kind of are, like, are issues that affect both communities and both like greatly and like they stand there's a lot of kind of trauma that like kind of those have, have, have embedded into both communities and all communities so I think that like kind of there is and, and I'm saying this as also a blow-in but also as like whoever someone who has uh, kind of Irish heritage and Irish kind of background and I would be I'd be the diaspora that moved out from the kind of generations that kind of moved out of Ireland in the 70s like so many kind of did um, and you're called the blow-in. I love that. A blow-in. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just gone for the Turner Prize. <laughs> it's not unusual here for Catholics and Protestants to be friends and work together in loads of different ways, you know, and culture, culture with a small C is where that happens here. You know, like, despite the sort of politicians trying to keep it a divided society by having non-integrated education and sort of, try, you know, distinct areas in Belfast where only certain communities can live like you know the music scene's always been very mixed the art scene's always been very mixed like that to to us it's not a big deal that we're a mixed group 
at all, you know, but and it's funny how it's been picked up in the press as this like, wow, Catholics and Protestants who aren't fighting with each other. Whereas, yeah. And also like my my son is like the third generation of someone who is from mixed background, you know, there I mean there's that's been happening for a while now. So there's a few wee happers in array as well. <laughs> Um, and, I, and, I, and I think outside of Northern Ireland, people don't realize people don't realize that that happens or don't realize that it is more normal now. And because people only see the headlines, they only see this very uh, like chalk outline version of Northern Irish people or people in the north of Ireland, you know. And actually, that's something that really annoyed me, I think, with some of the criticism for the Turner Prize this time was that I just felt like there was huge ignorance um, from many uh, writers and, and people who just sort of glossed over, or not, not glossed over, but there, there was a kind of like, um, I don't know, just, they weren't very well informed and they didn't seem to want to educate themselves either. So they just kind of have these assumptions which they thought were correct, but they never really checked were correct. And just the way they were writing was quite biased a lot of the time, I thought. And, you know, it's been 100 years. It was uh, the 5th of December 2021 that marks exactly 100 years of the Anglo-Irish Agreement. And, and it, it's a long time in history you know 100 years if you actually think about it and there's been all these things that have changed every decade but I just feel like there's very little knowledge within the kind of art media in particular which is located often out of London and what was your what was your like personal feelings to some of the writing or or the way that things just kind of got almost like stereotypically kind of written about and there was definitely a sense of pissing off the right people by and large but um, there were there were a few, I suppose there were a few papers that we were a bit surprised or annoyed about, but mostly we were we were expecting it, I think. I think the kind of that real sense of it being of kind of focusing on like kind of the pub element as being a real like kind of stereotype of Irish culture was kind of a bit like, oh, come on, like you're better than this. Or like you kind of can you not just kind of go beyond the kind of the surface cracks of kind of what it means to come to Ireland and be here. Uh, and I think that was and. I think the kind of the writers so kind of who were connected to us, Kira Hickey and Jane Morrow, who wrote an amazing piece for the elephant. Yeah, who I loved that. about the the labour. It was just like my God, broke like to tears reading that. Yeah, like there didn't feel like there was any real critical engagement with it whatsoever from the press. And in a way, like, you know, we're all our own worst critics. So it was like, God, <laughs> I can think of a few things you could have said. <laughs> but you know, we all like criticize our own artworks all the time. And you know, we, like I think for us being nominated was such a big deal yeah. and some of us were quite nervous about the reaction and certainly nervous about how the show would be received and then sort of the journalism was just so lazy yeah. it's like you're not even trying to take us down almost that's kind of how I felt about it so it just felt it didn't bother me in the slightest because you know they hadn't even when the nominations first came out and there was the sort of pretend who have about the whole collectives you know what's the end of the individual artist it's like they haven't even looked at our website that says we're all also yeah. individual artists. You know, it was so know. quite lazy journalism, really, is all I thought from it. So, it, yeah. Yeah. I think I said on the night that it just felt like uh, the Turner Prize just gets a kick in every year, whoever's nominated. It's just a given <laughs> that the press go for it. So I wasn't shocked or surprised or anything. And I thought this isn't for the critics. This is for the people. And so many people saw that exhibition because it was at Coventry this year at the Herbert Coventry was a city of culture for uh, 2021. And so many people went through them doors and saw the exhibition. And so many people were drawn to your work. And what 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 we were saw for the people that didn't know for the Turner Prize this year is you created um, 
Thomas mentioned a pub, but I think the term is Shabin. Yeah, Shabin. Shabim. Yeah. And you could sit in this, it was like an installation. You could sit in there and you would rest and you would have a moment of pause and a moment of reflection. And on the screen, it was an immersive experience like a pub and there was like ashtrays and there was paraphernalia around that was advertising women's rights and LGBT issues and charities. And then there was a film playing, which was called The Druid's Ball. And all you guys had got up and told stories and sung songs and wore costumes. And it was so moving and celebratory and as an audience member coming in that wouldn't know anything about any of these collectives who were in the Turner Prize nominee list but not anything about you know the north of Ireland for what 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 was actually going on it was such an incredible experience which is why you were rightly winners but what what did you feel like from the reactions of the public so forget all the critics uh that get paid for it but the people that are there out of pleasure what what was the response like Cloda? oh the response from people like as I do the social media so like see the night we a were nominated it was like so overwhelming just the amount of people it felt more like a football match like so, you know than a, an art thing it was just like Wah! it was like Belfast has won something or Belfast is up for something massive and then the the night that we did win like the response is just I think that's one of the really really lovely beautiful things about this is the the way it's been received here and people are so proud and it kind of feels like, I don't know, you'd even be in a taxi and they'd be like, oh, you're one of those ones that won the art thing. And it'd be like, we would never win anything here. <laughs> Do you know, I don't know, it was a real, so little comments like that or people like leaving a Bridget's Cross in the she Bean for us or comments on Instagram. And yeah, response has been so lovely. And one one of the really like, with all the messages on Instagram and stuff the night that we won was about the babies being on stage. Laura, yes. Sheila and Emma having their kids on stage. Like that was a real, like, remember saying, God, that is the most popular comment, <laughs> Do you know? But yeah, the response has been so, so lovely. It means a lot. I've got to say as well that the staff at the Herbert, especially the invigilation staff, like the one at Rich O'Leary, who was one of, who was one of the performers uh, who were, was in the film, The Druid's Ball, went over like on his own without us to go and see the see the work and he was instantly recognized by the invigilate who like we'd got to know really well and like they'd come out drinking with us during the install and it was brilliant but they really just took care of that work and alice the curator who was uh who kind of worked with us was kind of like they were if anything was kind of moved or disrupted they just knew every little bit of that show and they were they were they were amazing the herbert staff were incredible absolutely big shout out to them and when we were over for the D install as well, um, whenever we were taking it down, uh, the staff like kept coming in and they were so sad to see it go. It was like a part of them was going as well. So they had made a connection with it. And yeah, they just kept, they, they were just so sad to see it go <laughs> too. Yeah. Well, Richard O'Leary, who you just mentioned, is a, a gay rights campaigner. And actually for me, that was one of the most powerful moments of uh, the film because he told a story about fairies and, you know, I'm a fairy, Rob's a fairy. So it's something that I really connected to. But he tells this story about fairies during the Troubles. And again, like we're talking about how Protestants and Catholics are friends, then it was not the case. And being queer crossed boundaries, uh, broke down walls. And he told this incredible story. And he's a massive ally for you guys. And how did Richard come into your kind of orbit? And how did you guys collaborate with him? And he's a long running collaborator, right? Yeah, so I, I, so Richard, I kind of actually kind of Sinead 
Brandon Cashel. So she was sister, kind of got me in touch with kind of Richard because uh, he was running a project here called he was digitalizing the LGBTQ uh, archive. So is kind of so he's been working on uh, digitalizing kind of archive work from kind of the late 80s to the early 90s. And so I kind of got to know him kind of through that kind of project where he would do kind of online uh, uh, talks about kind of his his life. But all of these stories. So Richard O'Leary is a self-proclaimed fairy from Cork. That's how he self. That's how he identifies. Um, but came up to study at Queens in the seventies uh, and kind of stayed and so and lived with his partner, who uh, Rick, um, Russell's completely was right. Like it was, it was difficult not only to be a Protestant and a Catholic, but also be uh, in a same-sex relationship with a Protestant was just an extra layer um of of kind of uh abuse that this this kind of this couple kind of got so richard tells these amazing stories about what it was like to not only face religious adversity but also sexual orientation uh discrimination kind of in in, in ireland at the time yeah i won't i don't, I don't want to talk any more about kind of richard's stories because i think i want kind of audience to go and find him and go and listen to the stories and oh yeah you must. the journey that that uh that uh that richard has gone on yeah but he is he is a collaborator and he We'll continue to work with him, with him, I think, for for as long as we keep going. Oh, you've got it. He's an incredible storyteller. I mean, just just so captivating. He tells this story about, you know, his life and moments that happened. Yeah. It's incredible. So, yes, everyone should go and check out Richard O'Leary. So, Jane, so when you're creating, uh, like, a community and solidarity through your art, how do you choose what to align yourselves with as a collective? How do you decide what is the protest that you guys are going to get involved with? Um, I, I don't think we ever made the decision like to, like as in like this is what we're going to align ourselves with. These are issues that we were feeling quite personally affected by anyway. So it just felt quite natural to to be part of them. And it's probably important to mention that, you know, we weren't working for these groups. We were we were part of them and they didn't ask us to come in. You know, we, we were already on the street being colourful, being loud. Um, so it just felt quite natural to, to kind of fall into that, that we were already falling in, like we were already there anyway. So in terms of that, like obviously the kind of issues that we've been dealing with, looking at like mental health, the Language Act, gentrification, as you mentioned, social housing, LBGTQ um, and abortion rights, um, women's bodily autonomy. So, I mean, these are all things we're personally affected by. So, like, I mean, it, it, it was never a decision to, like, go for particular ones. And because the political climate at the time in Belfast was quite, like, yeah, disru- it was disrupted. So, I mean, it just felt natural to be part of these. Absolutely. But you, you, the way you approach it is, is with such um, humour and play and there are performances and there are costumes and it's so it's kind of like like comedy has the the ability to kind of permeate quicker than anger or or shouting it's like you you, you say something funny you can get a message across quicker what why is humor so important to the collective cloda oh. <laughs> well i i always say i always take this question because i'm the funniest though just <laughs> You're the 12 foot, so. <laughs> I'm hilarious and 12 foot tall. <laughs> um, well, I think it's like a few things, I suppose. Like, <laughs> we are friends, so we share, I suppose, a sense of humour. We find the same kind of things funny. Um, a sense of the 
absurd as well I think um and I think uh, we did an interview recently and Tom brought up that like you know if it was so serious all the time like because some of the issues a lot of all the issues we deal with are so um kind of hardcore and they can be quite upsetting and sad that like if we it could be so depressing and we might you know it'd be a hard thing to do all the time but if we're kind of like um dealing with it with a bit of humor or given it's given us a way to look at it that's like not wholly depressive but we still want to do it um but yeah I think we also just get on a lot and have a laugh together and I think that's quite important yeah or have a have a gig which is the Belfast equivalent of of uh lol yeah. <laughs> I, know, I I said um, in one video I said have a gag G E G which is the Belfast of equivalent of ha- L O L have a laugh <laughs> so instead of like <laughs> have a laugh L O L have a laugh <laughs> nobody questioned it <laughs> I also really think that humour can be a method of survival as well so if you if you have trauma or you have you know political situations happening that are are stopping you living your life the way you want to humor can like free you up and help build solidarity actually between your friends and but also just give you a sense of hope because without you know hope and laughter then what is life you know I loved this idea as well which is obviously a fact that there's this kind of unresolved trauma from the conflict that nobody talks about and once things seem to be better or um you know or, or maybe have been resolved a bit further then suddenly everyone thinks everyone's fine but actually there's this kind of long-term present day trauma that people suffer and there's there's really high suicide rates and there's you know people being very depressed and even not being able to communicate to each other because they spent decades not talking about their feelings because they had to you know fight for survival in a way can you speak a bit about about humor in relation to trauma as well and and also this whole like this whole um reality of trauma emma do you want to answer that one yeah, I mean, I think as a place, we're definitely known for a certain kind of dark and dry gallows humour. Uh, and certainly, you know, like, and the others will, will probably agree because we most of us have lived, even the ones from the north of Ireland have all lived somewhere else at some point. And, and sometimes you'll say something that will be way over the line when you're in a different context. But it would have been fine in Belfast. So, um, and I, de- I like a hundred percent think it's a coping strategy for sure, um, and it's a way of saying things. But I think with humor, you're already you're building a connection with somebody straight off the bat, and then uh, and then people have a little think afterwards um, about what was actually said, even though you mightn't have been straightforward with the joke. Um, yes. and there is, there is a certain thing in Belfast like if you're not taking the piss out of somebody it means you don't like them so I mean I'm not sure how healthy that is but <laughs> it's um, it's definitely what we do so uh, or yourself as well you know it's there's a lot of self-deprecating humor as well I think like Sheila's quite good with some with some of the humor stuff as well I think <laughs> is that true yeah it's definitely like uh, something that's very within the the culture here is to be just constantly making fun almost and like I think there's a real I, I don't know I kind of describe it as like a bipolarness to the whole city where it's either really hyper and really up or completely down and not much in between you know and that's something we wanted to try and express about like what this place means to us is very different to how it's portrayed you know and it's normally portrayed as just Blake and just the troubles and it's like there's this whole richness to it which is why we love the place like even though it's 
sometimes the most awful place, <laughs> you know, it's also amazing and really vibrant. And that's because of it's this real high and low. Um, and definitely, you know, even like my parents would talk about sometimes they would worry because the the stories that are told about the troubles are always like funny and a laugh. And it sort of almost paints this picture as if actually that was great crap, you know, <laughs> because they're covering up for how awful yeah. it was and how afraid they all were constantly. And it's this, you know, it's a very like... Yeah, a very Irish thing as well. It's not just the North, definitely. I guess that's like our nan and granddad say, like, they had a lovely time in the war. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's that thing and you're like, it's that sort of, it is definitely that. But Sheila, but through through like the, the activist approach that you guys have towards art, have you actually felt a change or witnessed a change that your art practice has made towards law changes or towards the way that people are represented and, and seen? it's sort of yeah I mean in some ways it feels like a lot's changed here recently but I wouldn't be ever put that down to our art you know I feel like <laughs> we were a part of these movements but those changes were kind of happening anyway and then you know I'll let Emma talk a bit more about that through the work with the Lands for Choice but one thing that I sort of felt that I wasn't expecting to feel about the Turner Prize was that you know I think when we first got asked to do the Gerwood and the Turner we weren't quite sure how our activism would fit into a gallery and sort of even had slight ethical questions around should it, you know, it doesn't suddenly feel like we're sort of selling out in a way or it's the wrong context for it. But actually because the Turner was so, so high profile and because of how amazingly it's been accepted in the North, it almost feels like that's been a piece of activism in itself. Like a lot of people getting in contact to congratulate us who would not have the same views as us at all, you know, like the fact that you're you're sitting around a dinner table and you have to explain to your uncle what you know that you make work about abortions, you know that you just wouldn't have even said that word five years ago, at all. So it's it's almost validated that. So I, I, then that's something that really took me by surprise. I didn't think that was going to happen. And yeah, the fact that you're the Lord Mayor had us on an open bus <laughs> going through Belfast, and do you know that like <laughs> heroes? These are things that aren't yeah. spoken about. You know that suddenly because of the pre- prestige of the yeah. prize basically it sort of catapulted it into now that's the mainstream now the, this way of thinking is the mainstream we're not the weirdos on the yeah. side that's you know, fantastic but, uh, but yeah I'll let Emma talk about a lands for choice and sort of how they f- felt about the artwork that we were helping out with yes please Emma who are the lands for choice <laughs> alliance for choice so is the organization I'm involved with the campaign on abortion rights um and I got involved with them through my art essentially so I was doing a a piece about um about pe- women's journeys over to England um because that was the main way people were able to access it until the law changed um but i think you know there's a writer called Lucy Lepard and she talks about how um of course art activism isn't the only isn't the way that you can change things on its own but then nothing is nothing on its own changes culture changes society changes laws it has to be a little bit of everything and the abortion rights movement in the whole island of ireland really um purposefully had a whole art strand like we or we organized a creative and direct action group as a as a central part of organizing the movement because it is so important um and i think you know culture quite often is pushing things before politics gets there you know it's catching up quite a lot of the time um, and so I think we can be powerful. So sometimes like when we're on the street in rallies, we're, we're bringing humor with slogans or, or kind of, I guess, uh, one-liner costumes or whatever, 
but um, other bits of the art that we all do individually and as a collective might be a bit more nuanced, nuanced and subtle and, and delve a bit more into the lived experience of things where politicians might not necessarily or, or activists might not necessarily get to. So um, I think there's a whole, a whole lot of ways that art can, can facilitate that change or, or help tell human stories, because that's really what art is about, you know, about telling all these human stories that people can connect to. I think I actually um, really felt that this year's Turner Prize, you know, last year's Turner Prize, um, uh, was really questioning what art was and, 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 and the kind of strategies that you can put into place within art that can actually, uh, you know, bring up really traumatic, you know, difficult topics that no one really wants to talk about in, in a really unusual way. And, it, you know, across the board, I think all the different collectives that were selected were doing things really in, in, in such a clever way, and I think highly intelligent way, um, in order to sort of bring about change. And there was this idea as well of like social work or all these ideas, you know, that, that is art being reduced to social work. But actually, I think it completely missed the point because it was like art has always been about social change and art has always been about sharing people's voices from across the world and making us all understand each other more mm -hmm. and hopefully building bridges, if anything. So I, I, can you speak a bit about art you know, what is art? Or like, you know, how how do you collaborate to create art, you know, a, as a collective? <laughs> yeah, surely, because there must be a dominant voice. I mean, you, you guys must have these regular meetings, but what Rob's saying, how do you decide and how did you decide on the installation for the Turner Prize? I think rather than kind of talk about kind of what is art, I think what something that kind of is kind of like, what is an artist? And I think right. that kind of like that is something that, you know, I think none of us have none of us have come from like a background that we ever expected to ever be in this position or be like a full time artist and have to and kind of and have our entire kind of income generation kind of be from kind of one one thing. And I think kind of meeting all the other collectives and everyone who is involved in all those collectives, how much we are part of other infrastructures. And so like, and, you know, gen especially like Gentle Radical and Projects Artworks, uh, and I'm not discounting uh, boss or um, cooking sections either with this, but we're all part, like we're all interconnected within these systems of care and systems of well-being, um, just trying to kind of make everything just a little, a little bit better. So I think kind of like for me, what like the idea of what an artist is is actually kind of radically ch kind of changed over the past kind of ten years after like you know graduated from art college when you were kind of told you know if you weren't going to if you weren't going to sell paintings, then you wouldn't be an artist anymore. I think kind of it being incredibly individual and being part of part of a community is kind of what an artist is is, is, is about. Therefore, art is about that. I don't know. Mm, mm. No, I love that. I love that response. But then, so then with the success of Array Collective and you are individual artists, is your individual art starting to struggle against the success of the collective how, how do you dedicate yourselves your own individual times and as much is being put on a collective uh, array right now i feel like a lot of us had reached a point where we were almost semi-retired with our <laughs> oh, really and i don't mean that yeah. as in like i think to yeah to be a career artist to sort of make your full income from being an artist is just impossible like especially in northern ireland like it's like so we all have full-time or part-time jobs and I think we're all still have our own practice, which is as much for ourselves because we need to make art and we have ideas to make art than an art career. If you sort of chase that forever, <laughs> you can, yeah. Um, 
end up not making anything by spending so much time trying to make a career out of it. I actually made more art when I stopped doing application forms, you know, and I think it is an interesting one because now this has happened with the Ray, but, you know, two of us have just had babies. We all have full-time jobs. It's like the, the, the time to make art is already squeezed. Yeah. And I don't know if, yeah, I don't think all 11 of us are going to be able to give up our jobs and <laughs> suddenly make a fortune out of art even though this has happened to us I don't know I think we're all quite have we're quite grounded in that way well I I love the fact that with the Turner Prize is obviously a winning prize for £25,000 but you guys when you got nominated none of you would speculate if you did win what you'd spend the money on because you didn't want to jinx it (laughs) but then on the night when you did win it I think there's a headline saying we have to have a meeting where is this where has the prize money gone from winning something like the Turner Prize what does that go towards now we uh, have been thinking about that. Yeah, I think at the at the ceremony we did mention, you know, putting investing it back into a building. As you know, we need to be out of our building in eighteen months. Um, and just thinking about securing a long term premises where we can kind of be, it can be sustainable and self sufficient at the same time without relying heavily on kind of public funding would be ideal. Um. But yeah, we'll we'll see what what happens. I'm sure we're yeah a lot of another meeting will need to happen for that to come to a conclusion. Yeah. But you you have a collective bank account that yeah. that money's just sat in now at the minute that you all okay cool. It's not like it's been split up with everyone and you're all just sort of <laughs> right yeah, in so your so in separate ISIS. holding on to it. So <laughs> I've had some work done resting in my account. <laughs> Stretched you out even longer. Yeah. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, Sheila, you were talking about um, the kind of specific context of the location where you all are in relation to the way that art is supported. Mm. And I read in the um, Kiara and Jane um, article that was in Elephant magazine, like the last point was kind of this idea that there needs to be change in the way that there is funding for arts, specifically in the north of Ireland. Can you speak a bit about that specific context? Because for me, I think that's one of the key things about why Array Collective was so needed, so important, why it why it was birthed in a way, because, because of all of those situations which are very unique in in a way to 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 your location yeah i think we'll we'll sort of like we already got the you know the least funding for art in the uk you know compared to the other parts of the uk we get the least but also then the way that's divided up here is just so sectarian basically it gets taken for things that progress the politics of the two governing (laughs) bodies you know so it becomes more difficult to get 
money for art that doesn't look at those things. Um, and then there's no commercial art scene here to speak of. There is like a slight one, but not compared to other places. So there's not, you know, so public funding really is a big way of, for artists to be supported here, which is why a lot of people leave. Get, you know, so many talented artists just have to give up at a certain point because it's impossible. And also just, you know, it is a small place. We are on an island. So like we're used to doing exhibitions that 10 people might come and see. <laughs> Two of them right. are parents. And, <laughs> you know, like there's a, yeah, it's it's hard to be seen here, I think, you know, on a international but what um, platform? What does keep you going then? What what is the driving force that makes you guys continue? If if it does if it does feel so hard at times, I think well, like for me personally, it's just making art. Like I enjoy making it. It's something that helps me do, and I have constant ideas. And I think it would be very easy to get quite bitter and not make anything because you're so fed up with the art system. And yeah, I just think you could <laughs> you can try and change it, and I think that's definitely a positive thing to do. But you also have to keep some for yourself and us as a collective like we you know we weren't saying that as an art practice as a careerist thing at all you know that's why we're so surprised (laughs) we're in this position because we were really doing it for the causes and for ourselves and because we were enjoying making it there was no strategy in it you know so that's I think we'll continue to do that you know and genuinely like Belfast is an such a supportive place to make artwork in like you know and, and I know it sounds a bit like working class hero but like there's no you know there might not be provision there might not be studios but like the community here is amazing and you know for a lot of years it worked on this kind of tit for tat kind of economy where like someone would help someone out and some for another show and then you that's the that was the economy that it was kind of based on and it is really good crack to make work here like and I think that's what keeps us well that's what make, keeps me going anyway that's why I stay <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and at these gatherings and these performances, there are a, a lot of symbols that come into play. But Emma, there's a symbol which is I, I kind of really associate with you guys, and I'd never come across her before. And it's Sheila Nagig, yeah. and this is a symbol that is uh, from folklore. And I'd love you to talk about Sheila Nagig because now I see her in places, and it just makes me think of a ray. But also yeah. to answer to further that question is that we're living in a culture for social media and and lots of like photos being taken and this is an image that is you know for some people for the social media police might be like upset with I mean how do you keep that without being shadow banned on Instagram how do you keep that image alive but yeah let's talk about Sheila Nagig for us please so Sheila Nagig is a a figure that used to be found throughout Celtic Europe so there were a lot in Wales northern France and kind of southern England as well but the the majority of the remaining Sheila the gigs are in Ireland and normally over gathering buildings or gathering places uh, and it would have been this little figure's got two hands holding wide open this giant vulva um, and a lot of them were destroyed when with the advent of Christianity but um, they kept them in the Irish version of when they used this, the rooms for Christianity and uh, uh, a lot of, I guess, feminists would use it to to, to reclaim a certain, yeah, it's a bit of a, a reclamation, I suppose, for us. And one of the fun, one of the most fun um, rallies that we had was when there was the parade of all the different, was there maybe eight or, or ten Sheilas? Um, had little messages coming out of their vulva like feck off or era says relax or <laughs> um, Disco ball. and there's also Sean the gigs as well 
Yeah. Sean, there's a Sean the gig. Yeah. It's a so what's he pulling apart? <laughs> Mm-hmm. 
and it would end up being an amazing advert for their country. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, and also would, would help educate people about their country, which is, in a way, it's not your job to educate necessarily, um, but, you know, we should all be educating ourselves, and that's our individual responsibility. But I do think even, you know, with Array Collective winning the Turner Prize, um, even myself, like, I've learned way more about um, Ireland than I knew before. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like you've you've allowed me to access... Um, something that I grew up in the 1980s listening to on the news, mm. um, which was often about bombings, about kind of um, almost like terrorism and kind of it, the language around it, even like this idea of sectarian, um, like, like, like even that word, like it's, it's a word I really remember from being a child and never quite understood what these words meant. And I felt like all the news broadcasts often had these very large words, which is in a way is what we've been trying to break down with talk art, trying to like make, make people understand art is, is theirs and it's not just about big words. Is, is is that something that that um, well I, I don't know but you know do you do you think it will change like within within Ireland this idea of supporting the arts more or with education as well I don't know I mean it's early days I suppose <laughs> to say like you know what we're, we're used to being given a lot of false promises you know having meetings with different groups and you know being made promises that things will change and then they don't but you know we don't want to be too pessimistic <laughs> but I think. Um, yeah, certainly like what you're saying about how you feel that you sort of received an education about here. I think that has been really important to us, um, you know, because it does always feel like we're, we're ignored, you know, and, you know, from because a lot of us have lived away or we're from other places. We've all had those conversations where you just realise how little people understand about what's going on here is. And I just really remember like I was over for the last documenta. And that was around the time that wasn't it Theresa May's election where the DUP then suddenly were these kingmakers. And I just was, you know, at this sort of art party with all these, you know, Euro art people. And they were like, who are the DUP? They're dreadful. I've just Googled them. And, you know, you're sitting there going, we've been screaming about these guys for years and no one has listened. And now all of a sudden that they affect you. Mm. It's suddenly that you can't believe that these, you know, people exist. And, you know, the same with Brexit. It was like the whole lead up to that vote. Northern Ireland was not mentioned and we were just over here screaming, waving our arms, like going, you guys, this is this is going to be a disaster. And that's what's happened. You know, it's the whole thing is a mess because of Northern Ireland, you know. So it's I think it was a very timely thing for us to do this in this year and the year of the centenary. It felt like people were ready to listen, I think. Partially because it was starting to affect them, <laughs> and not just us, you know. Right, right, right. And actually, there was a word play that you used in one of your, um, you know, uh, slogans, I guess, within the work that was about sausages, which had to do with with Brexit and the idea, like, would the sausages make it to Ireland or not? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I love that one. And I mean, that in that was... way, like the politicians here kind of write most of our jokes for us. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. <laughs> and there's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess there's a massive drive then to to like you've been at the Herbert and you're in the Jerwood show. It's like you have this drive to show your work outside of Northern Ireland because that feels like it then has more of an impact on the people at home. Yeah, and that took us by surprise. I think that's, you know, yeah, not something we necessarily expected. It's something we kind of set out to do, especially with the Jerwood show. We thought quite a lot about why it was important to do a show in London and should we? And we thought, yes, because that is where the seat of power is. Mm. That's mm. exactly where we should be doing a show, you know, but yeah, the feedback now from this has been, yeah, immense and it's really um 
yeah, like I said earlier, it's just opened up conversations here that wouldn't yeah. have happened otherwise. We could have done the same show here and it wouldn't have had the same impact. Yeah. Mm. yeah, That's incredible. I think it will get a different response, though, when we bring it home, essentially, to here. I think it'll be, uh, yeah, completely, like, yeah, responded to differently again, which will be pretty interesting. So you're going to install it? In, you're you're going to install it in Belfast? I mean, hopefully, like, right. that... that that is where the spiritual home of a shoot would be, or in Ireland, um, on the uh, island of Ireland. So yeah, we'll see. But I mean, when that does happen, um, yeah, that that will be uh, again a different kind of uh, audience and a different reactions than over in England for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But that, but the work's all back with you guys now. That's all safely in the studios. No, no, it's no. not yet. Yeah. Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> so, still being wrapped up. Yeah. I think shipments are taking a long time now. It's also the cost of shipments. So I think loads of things like go by truck or by sea instead of flying now, which is probably better for the environment anyway. But it means that everything's taking like 12 weeks instead of one week. And yeah, but we have no choice. Like all of us in the art world, it's something we're all encountering. Like, you know, shipments are about eight times more expensive than they used to be. It's just totally wild um you know something that i was really inspired by with array collective is your resourcefulness but also this kind of spontaneity the way that you can react and respond and um sort of take action in the moment when something political was happening but you you had this kind of artistic strategy you know to protest to um kind of raise uh, attention to you know something that you all collectively believed in can you speak a bit about the importance of kind of the DIY aesthetic and because there was one review where it said something like you know you would go to one of your um kind of collective meetings you know outdoors where you're protesting and the the, the paint is still wet on the signs like and I, I just loved that idea because I think it's so important for people to realize that we all have power to make changes and it might seem like your your voice is a small voice but you know coming together you know connecting to others you can make a change yeah we had a one of our whatsapp groups for a while was called arrays assemble mm. and we would, we would text <laughs> in that whatsapp group if something you know we needed to get gather everybody really quickly yeah yeah and we all collect we all hoard a load of crap as well <laughs> a lot of cardboard in our lives um but yeah i think like it is you know that feeling i've feel like I've felt that feeling so many times before protests your hands almost shake and you're writing something on your your placard you have to be out in the street in like an hour and you're like I remember writing one um you know for abortion rights and it was like we didn't start the fire but we'll keep her lit um but my hand was shaking I was so like I need to get this out I need to get on the street you know that kind of pure energy and then you're out in the street and you're it's like smudging from the rain <laughs> There are are ones that we do plan, like the stop ruining everything. That's obviously printed and stuff like that. But there's a lot of kind of quick fire. Go, go, go. Let's go. I like that energy. And and as your artist, do you archive all these placards? Do they get stored somewhere? Is every kind of protest, every every march, do you you keep all the costumes safe and protected? (laughs) (laughs) In our our damp building, a lot of the... Um, a lot of the sort of placards have been uh, disseminated yeah. and like, you know, like Alliance for Choice have a load of the ones. So there'll be placards we've made just are at these rallies and we're not holding them anymore. You know, they kind of just mm-hmm. went out there and, you know, and some of our favourites we've kind of held on to. And some then we put, you know, made the, the canopy um, that was above the Shabin yeah. with some of them as well. Uh, yeah, so it's, yeah, yeah. I suppose... 
we might be a wee bit more precious about them now. Yeah, <laughs> it's also true, isn't it? Damp really makes like paper or cardboard just melt. Essentially, yeah. it, like basically disintegrates, <laughs> and it's an invisible evil. Because I recently discovered that myself. I had boxes of paper that literally have completely disintegrated, and I've lost loads of stuff. But um. <laughs> Uh, I had this funny joke as well, like you know, like Thunderbirds ago, where they would all sort of like come together, all like superheroes, <laughs> yes. when they all press the kind yes. of red pa- yes. power rangers. They all yeah. they all kind of assemble. I love that idea yeah. of you guys all coming together, yeah, the cats. Um, for, the, for the greater good. But it'd all be made out of cardboard boxes, and it wouldn't quite <laughs> yeah, fit no. together. Yeah. <laughs> we used yeah. to like. Do you remember we had the heads? So we printed our own heads, big massive versions of our own heads, and if people couldn't come to a protest. You'd bring the head switch in. I remember once thinking, like, what the hell? I was thinking I'd put them on, I put them on tennis rackets. So I had, like, Sheila, Sinead, the ones that couldn't be at the protest, I put them on tennis rackets. And then I was like, I'm not bringing six tennis rackets down to City Hall. So then I <laughs> safety pinned them onto my jacket, and then you hold it open so it's like the ones that can't be there are there, visibly, visually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Those heads yeah, are just... heads ended up not to be, didn't they? The two heads, yeah. yeah. Because she didn't know. in the balaclavas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because they were busy um, birthing other humans. So we put their their versions of those faces up in the shebang. But I, right. the other thing I remembered is like, it's not, sometimes it's not always like for a great cause. Like one of the best crack exhibitions <laughs> we had was uh, late night art when we were making fun of the guidance that we got about late night art from some like local arts and business organization that we thought was just like they've clearly never been to our studios if they're <laughs> advising us to have a string quartet in the corner <laughs> so we, <laughs> so to increase visitor numbers yeah and Stephen dj for the exhibition with his bag over his head the whole night <laughs> just with little flags that said this is art and this is not art i mean you know <laughs> That was yeah. silly, but it was so great as well. <laughs> you asked earlier about kind of what brought us all together, and we had another show that again wasn't for a protest, but we found we obviously all found our connective <laughs> vibe when we were all doing our GCSEs and A levels and hires. We did a show of our A level artwork in the studio <laughs> yeah. called Class Art, and the themes that ran through it were all very similar and very dark, yeah. even though we all grew up in different parts of the British Isles. <laughs> Very angsty. That, Very that's angsty. our favorite. My favorite show we did. <laughs> yeah. we should do it again. I had a picture. Of, like I used to. I think. I think I was told I was a like really good drawer when I was young. So it was like I thought I was a genius. But like one of my piece for that was like a picture of Johnny Depp with these like really boxy arms, and like hanging from fish gut. <laughs> what well, like I unearthed it, and I, I yeah. Do you remember a picture of Johnny Depp? But I used to draw Johnny Depp. Gary Stringer from Reef. Anyone that anyone asked me to draw, I'd draw. But <laughs> oh my god, I remember Reef. They were amazing. <laughs> you know, it's really funny. Like sitting here with you now. I know we're all virtual, but you get this real sense of camaraderie and like a kind of community in a sense. Like, how important is that for you? Because I often give the advice to younger artists to instead of thinking about how is the art world gonna accept me it's like forget about all that and just think about your peer group about what's at your kitchen table you know what what is within reach because within all of us you have the power to to sort of you know create art and maybe maybe you'll make a noise maybe you won't but it doesn't really matter it's more about connecting to those within your reach in a sense um how important is that for all of you does it give you power I was just to say the other day I was giving an online talk and I was really nervous about it because it was Mm. more high profile than usual and I remembered um, Sheila and Sinead were at my first ever artist talk Aww. in Belfast in the black box and then Sinead was still at this one as well and it just made me very emotional and like 
there's been that support for each other the whole way through yeah we're very lucky in the sense that we are all friends I mean there is a certain amount of like care and security within the group as well which is quite supportive and have ha- has kept us going I think um like we all check in with each other in in, in a mental health way you know we, there's never any pressure on anyone it's a very caring and comfort environment which at times is unheard of in in kind of the art world in a sense so I think we're very lucky in a sense that we have found our people um to kind of be on this journey with as cheesy as that sounds but um and yeah it's just like looking at what you already have there you know yeah as you said you don't need to look at what like we like we we're as we said we're as surprised about this as anybody else it it, we just weren't expecting it but you know we're we're just very lucky to have each other I guess Mm -hmm. (laughs) and with 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 the future, uh, the future of your studio in flux now, what what are you planning? What what is the collective sort of thinking about for that? I think I suppose because the show's only just coming down, <laughs> we're kind of still um, coming down to earth a bit with that. So we're yeah, we're discussing kind of what, how to move forward, and we would like to retain a studio building somewhere, ideally the city centre, but we may have to move out of the city centre and see what's the best way to secure that is really but we definitely all still want to work together you know we did talk a bit about like what actually do we need from a building and maybe it's not 11 studios you know a lot of us work collectively some of us you know use the studio more for storage than actually making work in it's not a traditional studio setup you know and definitely I think at the heart of it would need to be workshop space and a project space to invite other people in you know that's kind of a massive part of what we do and I think yeah, if we had something like a project space, it would program itself mm. because there's we've so many ideas for what we want to do, and so we all wear so many different hats. It's you know, we all work with loads of other organisations and loads of other artists in other collective ways as well. So yeah, yeah, somewhere to host people would be great because yeah. our building at the minute's awful. Do you have plans to work with any of the other Turner nominees, any of the other collectors? Have you guys kind of swapped? ideas and potential kind of collaborations coming up yeah i think i mean nothing confirmed but like we definitely kind of worked or kind of spoke quite closely with project artworks i think what they're doing in terms of access to kind of exhibitions um and so it was, was it's just incredible and i think there's definitely plans uh, like we've been talking to martin quite a lot and i think there's definitely plans to do something with them in the future it would be brilliant but yeah god the invitation i think is open for all of them to come come to belfast and let's do something awesome. that'd be great and Clodagh, what what are you as array working towards now what is the the next project or um what is the next project guys <laughs> keeping afloat and i suppose all of these oppor- like in a podcast like we're getting a lot of these kind of opportunities so we're kind of working through those um we have a few plans. I don't know how much I can say, but a few plans for shows this year, but I don't know what's set in stone or what I can say. Um, but yeah, group exhibitions. There is the thought, the hope that maybe the Shabin will be installed here, but that's yet to be kind of ironed out. But I think a lot of people looking across the waters had FOMO seeing it over there and they couldn't go, and especially because of COVID and all that. So that's yeah. probably one of our plans to get that up and running here at some point. Uh, I'm missing something, haven't I, guys? What am I saying that we're not doing? Well, if the curator of Documenta would like to give us 11 tickets to come and see Documenta this year because it's all collected, oh, that yes. would be great. <laughs> yes, please. And Project Artworks is part of Documenta this year as well. And Project yes, Artworks are part well. of Documenta. Yeah, yeah exactly. 
<laughs> Amazing. Well, I'm sure they must. They, they're all listening to this. Yeah, Absolutely. Sorted. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the Shabin then. Can you quickly just explain to everyone why why you chose that as the kind of central structure that housed, you know, so many of your different ideas and and um, kind of different estuaries, I guess, um, of what of what you've done. What, what what why was it that? Why was that so significant? It sort of organically came about. I suppose like we had conversations about you know how how are we going to respond yeah. to this invitation. And the centenary came up as a theme because that was the year that was in it. <laughs> and yeah, it was sort of how do we express all these things that are going on in one piece of work when there's when it's so layered and so complicated and we, we don't just make work about one thing. And I think like it's almost like the Shabin is like a self-portrait of Northern Ireland. <laughs> it's kind of how one way we've talked about it where it's like, yeah, almost like that is the pub is such a huge part of the culture here you know the stereotypes are true essentially you know and it it's you know the Irish pub is something that's you know through we're known for throughout the world and we sort of had a conversation like can we really go there you know and Stephen Miller was like we need to own that stereotype because it's ours (laughs) (laughs) and you know it's like alcohol here is like a huge Mm. thing in a negative and a positive way and it's how people come together and like there's almost this feeling of everything's always on the edge here. It's either really brilliant crack and then can suddenly like flip over into the worst night you've ever had. <laughs> kind of that almost encapsulates the place in a way. There's kind of, you know, and also we talked a lot about how like the pub is where things are planned and organized and people, you know, we're a rainy culture. People meet indoors. <laughs> like that's where plans are hatched. And after the protest, that's where we would go back to again to sort of celebrate and to mourn. So it just yeah. felt like it couldn't have been anything else, I think. And it was just a really nice way of like, you know, because of the decorative style of a Shabin, it allowed all those different artworks. Like there's more than 80 artworks physically contained mm. in it. And it's even a sort of like a, a trick that could be used with installation art. But the idea of having a familiar setting for people to walk into immediately sort of can relax you or you know how to operate in that space. So it allows you to take in all these different things and it's a sort of sub- subverted version of a Shabin, but it's still a pub that everyone knows how to behave in, in a certain way. So yeah, I think that was some of the ideas, but <laughs> go on Jane. Yeah, I guess as well that, uh, that space, almost inviting people into this kind of comfortable space and allowing them to feel comfortable, but then being confronted with the uncomfortable and the tension. So there was something in that, like playing about with bring you in, make it comfortable, but then being forced um, to be uncomfortable and be existing in this immersive discomfort. So definitely something within that, um, which, and it kind of, exactly what Sheila said there you know it can go from comforting to discomforting very quickly and that's kind of a a theme that really is relevant to where we're from yeah there's also a kind of universality isn't there to the pub and I do love that idea that like you might go there if someone's just died and you go in grief you know with your friends to have a drink and toast that person or you might go there when someone's born you know it's almost like the whole cycle of life can happen within a pub like you might meet your fiance there you might fall in love there you might fall out of love there like you you can have all these experiences with your friends and it's almost like Russ and I have always loved the bed I think within art in many different ways not just obviously Tracy Emmons but there's loads 
loads of different types of bed paintings, which I've always really loved because of the cycle of life and so much takes place in a bed. But I think it's similar for this idea of the pub. But I particularly liked your pub because it was an illicit pub. <laughs> that was the word you chose to use, I think, illicit. Um, and sort of almost like illegal alcohol selling or something. But um, That's what a shabine is. It's an illegal... Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Pub without permission. Yeah, because it, yeah. it was only when, when Britain colonised Ireland that you ha suddenly had to get a licence for a pub. So yeah. we held on to the Shabine, essentially. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Amazing. Well, an another phrase that I've heard when listening to lots of stuff is that you, you guys are always punching up, which I think really kind of just encapsulates the energy of Array, is that you're always punching up, and I love that. I absolutely love that. So we are, are going to ask all of you the questions that we ask everyone on Talk Up, but there's five of you, so we're going to have to zip through them. But we ask everyone the same questions at the end of every conversation. The first one is, if you could do an art heist, and I'll, I'll, I'll direct it to each of you individually, you could have any work of art in the world, we will help you steal it nicely. What would it be and why? Emma. Uh, mine would be Nan Golden's Ballad of Sexual Dependency, uh, the, the original, the slideshow with the soundtrack over the top of it. Um, I was kind of obsessed with her when I was first studying photography and uh, I've seen it a few times and it's so beautiful and powerful and um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> we can get you that. Cloda? Ah, so hard, these questions. Um, I was going to go really boring and be like, do Mona Lisa and sell it and never have to work again. But then I was thinking, <laughs> who, who would not dob me in? But no, then I was thinking, I, um, do you know Gillian Wearing's um, series of where she got people on the street to hold uh, signs? I think, what was it? Signs that you want them to say, but and not what other people want them to say. But there's one and it's um, a young woman and she's holding a sign that says, my grasp on life is rather loose. And I feel like that's a bit of me <laughs> um, because like, it's sad. It's like happy, sad, sacky, but it's like also a good thing because wiser is she who knows she doesn't know. So it's like kind of you don't want to tighten a grasp on life because then you'll stop learning. Uh, so that's I think I'll steal the original copy of that if it exists. I don't know. <laughs> I love that. Sheila? I love that. So we had a bit of a collective answer as well, but I'll oh. maybe let Thomas say that one or will I say it? So, oh, go on. <laughs> yeah, well, we talked about um, we would copy the first episode of Pose and all go into the Ulster Museum and steal all the outfits and then uh. <laughs> walk them all <laughs> within all our finery because they can make stuff nicer than some of our costumes. <laughs> you have to do that. You just have you to do have that. To is, that is happening at some that's of these gathering. Work for the Oh my gosh, we're going to start a talk art campaign to allow that to like that legally happen. happen. But even yeah, if it looks illegal, it Reynolds is kind of legal. Is that is a serious <laughs> gathering and performance array style. That is much yeah. needed. <laughs> yeah. Thomas? Oh, uh, I would definitely help Sheila with that. But uh, I think, oh, I got this for myself. I just to wear as a costume, I think it was a brilliant piece to see in a museum exhibition um, in the People's History in Manchester. They had an LGBTQ protest uh, exhibition and Hayley from Coronation Street, Anorak, was on show and I would take that. <laughs> Iconic. Mm -hmm. And would, would, you keep it, would you keep it and protect it or would you wear it? 
Oh my god, I would keep it in a glass box and it'd be mine forever. I think out of all the art heists, art heists we've ever had, that, that might the be the easiest one to get. <laughs> yeah, I think it might be. Yeah, that is amazing. Jane? Mine's would probably be The Weather Project by Olafur Ellison. Um, mm. The huge sun that was in the turbine hall. I mean, if you know, I, I love anything to do with natural light and light. So, I mean, just Steal the sun for me. That's all I ask, really. That was such an amazing artwork. It was quite a formative one for me. I remember actually sitting um, there when I was like 20 or something and just it really changing my idea of what art could be, which is actually a bit what you guys have also done for me now, uh, a lot uh, many years later. Like I think I think that, that for me is the joy of art, isn't it? Is that it can change yeah. our perception and the way that we see the world. Absolutely. Um, good one, guys. I love this. So the other question we ask every guest is, what is your favourite colour? Is there a collective favourite colour? Is there a Have collective favourite colour, on that? Maybe? Are you going to like a meditate rainbow. and work it out? A rainbow. Oh. <laughs> of course. <Yeah. laughs> oh, guys. Yes. All your, all your core values in one. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and it really annoys people um, more fundamentally. In Northern Ireland, who claimed that we stole it? The gays stole the rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is the best oh. advice that Array has ever received when it comes to making your art and your practice? I don't know if we've got any advice as a class. <laughs> I think it came from Emma, but you're doing something right if you're pissing off the right people. That's yes. good advice. Good one, Emma. Wise words. <laughs> Oh, what what advice would you give people though if you could give it? I suppose I would like say uh, don't get better about how rubbish the art world is and just keep doing it yeah. for the crack. Yeah. Find find what you need from your peers and not the external art world. That would be my yeah. Like make it for yourself. Yeah. Trust trust the protest. Yeah. Don't let um, art history hang on your back like a big bag of heavy stuff. <laughs> Tr- trust what you're. Yeah. Making, um, <laughs> what you can see tangibly in front of you and it'll take you uh, the way you should go. <laughs> Cheesy. That's <laughs> I like that idea of perseverance yeah. <laughs> and commitment. Claude, yes. I remember you give good advice once when you were like, um, you know, when you get into a project, go back and look at the original idea or the original drawing to just remind yourself what you were doing it for in the first place. Yeah, I always have this thing that if I'm like, I'll make an idea and I draw out the the rough idea in my head and then if I'm trying to make it, say if it's like a sculpture, I'm like, oh no, that line needs to be wonky like this. So try and make it exactly as wonky as I drew it because that's how it should be. So, I don't know. <laughs> Love that. Cool. You guys have been amazing. Thank you so much for coming on to Talk Art today. It has been an absolute honour chatting to you guys. Um, and hello to the other members uh, who weren't here tonight of Array. Thank you very much. I know, we could do like a whole other episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's actually more. It's like play the game to see if they say the yeah. same thing. I know, thing. wouldn't it be fascinating? That would be really interesting. Like and I just want to say to everyone that thank you so much for your work and thanks so much for collaborating with each other because I think you're such a wonderful example of togetherness and solidarity and um, this idea of listening to one another um, in order to better yourself and improve the way that you are in the world in a sense because I think we do all have a personal responsibility to improve ourselves and I think there's something really just inspiring about what 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 you've all done and even the way that you were you know talking about LGBT um 
kind of the, the struggle of that alongside like feminism and how the similarities are actually stronger than the differences in a sense and like how we can all learn from each other. I think it's such an important thing. And um, yeah, and I would also say I'm not totally hating on all journalists and all critics. I think I, I can sometimes sound a bit strong. And there were people like Charlotte Higgins as well who wrote a wonderful piece in The Guardian, which I loved. Yeah. And I think yeah. she's a really amazing writer. But I did also notice it was mainly women who wrote yeah. really good um, responses to your work, which I don't know what that says, but um, we need more good art critics. So, um, yeah, loving it. And thank you so much, all of you. And congratulations. Thank on you your so course. much. Thank you for having thank us. You. Thank you so much, guys. <laughs> Can I get a screenshot? Yeah, get a screenshot. Yeah, totally. yeah, get a screenshot. Um, for everyone listening while we get that screenshot, uh, please go to at Talker on Instagram. And then you guys are on Instagram. What is your uh, handle? At Array Studios. At Array Studios. And you can follow them and you will see images. And we'll be tagging everybody on Instagram. Absolutely. and we'll A lot of tags. <laughs> yes. yes. And thank you very much for listening. We'll be back very soon. That was a landmark moment in talk art history. The most guests we've ever had. <laughs> Bye. 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 You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,